We need to be sure today that Satan hates the truth. Satan hates the truth. That is why he hates Jesus, because he is the truth. It's why he hates the word of God, because it is the truth. It's why he hates faithful believers, because we are ambassadors of the truth. It is why he hates the spread of the gospel, because it is the announcement of truth. Satan hates the truth. He cannot stand it. He recoils at it, and he burns against it. Be very sure today, Satan hates the truth. And I believe there is a truth that he hates most of all. And that is the truth that we're about to read about today, the truth that we're about to study about today. Friends, be certain, Satan hates this message that I'm about to preach. He doesn't want to hear it. For sure, he didn't want you to hear it today as well. And the message is this. Satan, the enemy of God, the enemy of Christ, the enemy of the truth, Satan is a defeated enemy. Satan is a defeated enemy. Now, be very sure today, he's trying to hide that. He's trying to delay that. He's trying to wreak havoc because of that. But even so, be very sure today, Satan is a defeated enemy. Praise the Lord for that. Today in our study, we're going to read of the truth of his final end. We've come to that point in our study. We're going to read of the truth of his final end. Our message today is entitled, Doomed to Deceive No More. Doomed to Deceive No More. We're in Revelation chapter 20, today the first 10 verses of chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Doomed to deceive no more. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in the first verse, God's word says this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. 
and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. We're thankful that today we have hope. We're thankful today that we have the truth. We're thankful that today that in that truth we have the forgiveness of our sins. We have peace that's not moved. Lord, we come today, and I pray that in the preaching, the study, the hearing of your word, that Jesus will be revealed, that Jesus will be glorified, that your truth, Lord, will be made known. I, I pray, Lord, that this will be a supernatural event. And I pray, Lord, that you would truly speak to us in it. I pray we'd be built up. I pray some of us we'd be encouraged. I pray we might be convicted if we need to be. But I pray, Lord, that it would bear fruit in the lives of your people. I pray for somebody that will hear today that doesn't know you. I pray in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, that today might be the day of their salvation. Any hindrance to that would be removed. Lord, we give you this hour. We trust it to you. We lay it out before you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, this morning, we once again start back in our study of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are picking up now this morning in the 20th chapter. If you remember, as we closed out the 19th chapter, the battle of Armageddon has come to an end. In the account of chapter 19, Christ has come in magnificent glory. With him came the armies of heaven. The Antichrist and the false prophet have been thrown into the lake of fire, and the enemies of God, all of them alive, have been struck down by Jesus himself. The Bible reports to us at the end of that chapter that a multitude of vultures cover the battlefield, and they are feasting on the flesh or the corpses of the dead. It was a decisive victory led by our warrior king, Jesus. Well, that brings us this morning to the continuation of the account. The chapter break is ours. Uh, it has been added in. So understand, this is a continuation of the account here in the 20th chapter. So let's go to our verses this morning. Beginning in chapter 20, verse 1, it says this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. The next thing that happens in the progression, John looks and he sees an angel coming down from heaven. Now, uh, we're not sure of the identity of that angel. Some folks uh, want to talk about that. They want to try and figure that out. Uh, we do not know the angel's identity, just that he comes from heaven. He originates from heaven. Now, the Bible says this angel that he is holding the key to the abyss. Now, we were introduced in earlier chapters to the abyss. Understand, it is an actual place. Uh, it is not the lake of fire. Rather, it served as a prison or a dungeon of sorts uh, for a multitude of demons. That's how it was introduced to us earlier. Well, the Bible says this angel has the key to the abyss. And verse 1 reports a great chain in his hand. All right, verse 2. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, 
who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Let me read the second verse again. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. In this second verse, the angel takes hold of Satan. Now it's an interesting thing here. Uh, describing Satan to us, he is identified with four names. Four names are given. It seems that God wants his identity to be sure. And so he is given these four names. First, he is called the dragon. Uh, this is introduced to us in the Revelation. It is the enemy of Christ. Uh, it is the most frequent name used for him in the book of Revelation. And so first he is called or he is named the dragon. Then he is named the serpent of old. Understand this morning, this refers to his presence in the Garden of Eden and his work throughout the history of mankind. We go back to the book of Genesis, we read of the creation account, and when we read of Adam and Eve standing on the earth, there was the serpent of old in their midst. And so the second name is the serpent of old. Then he is given the name, or he is called the devil, the devil. Now, this is the Greek word diablos. Uh, it translates liar, deceiver, uh, one who defrauds. Diablos, liar, deceiver, one who defrauds. Uh, we know the Bible tells us he is the deceiver of the brethren. And then his last name, he is called Satan. Satan means adversary. It means enemy, or it most literally means one set against. Now we know that he is the enemy of God, that he is set against God. We know that he is set against his Christ, Jesus. We know that he is set against the truth of Jesus, but be very sure he is also set against us. Be sure and understand that. As God's people, Satan is our adversary. He is our enemy as well. He is the enemy of God. He is also our enemy as well. Verse 2 tells us the angel takes the chain that is in his hand and he binds Satan. He chains or he restrains the devil. It says here, for a thousand years. Now, I want to go ahead and address this right here. It's going to appear uh, many times in our verses to this morning. But I want to go ahead and address this right here. Here, we are introduced to the thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, in Latin, it's called the millennium. Uh, it is the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, the reason I want to talk about this, there are some who say, and I'll just tell you these days, they actually argue that it is referring to very simply a long time. And so they say that God chose to use the words a thousand years to represent a long time. Uh, there are some who say or they argue that it is, it is an unknowingly long period. And so it doesn't have a definite end. It is, it is a long period and that's all that it represents. Uh, there are others that come along and they say that it is symbolic. The thousand years is symbolic. There are others say that it is allegorical. I believe the scripture is very plain here. 
And I believe it is an actual period of 1,000 years. It is 999 years plus one more year. I believe it is an actual literal period of 1,000 years. I believe we are to understand it as literal. If you notice in our verses today, it is referred to as a 1,000 years six times in these 10 verses this morning. So I believe it is literal and it is to be understood in that understanding, it is actually 1,000 years. Verse 2 again, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a 1,000 years. Verse 3, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Verse 3 is a very busy verse. Uh, Satan is bound up in verse 2. In verse 3, he is then thrown into the abyss. The Bible says, and the abyss was shut, and then the abyss is sealed. Uh, to shut the abyss means to close it. And so he is thrown into the abyss, and then the abyss is closed. To seal it serves to mark it as shut. Uh, generally, this was done for security purposes. We want to know that it is shut. We want to know that it hasn't been opened again. And so it was sealed for security purposes. Remember the tomb of Jesus? He is taken from the cross dead. He is placed in the tomb. The tomb is shut and then a Roman seal is applied to that tomb. The Bible tells us the reason Satan is bound and sealed away in the abyss is that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to understand that. He is sealed away for the thousand years that he might not deceive the nations any longer. See this, understand this this morning. The work of Satan is to deceive. The work of Satan, it is to lie, it is to mislead. You see, the truth sets us free. The truth brings peace. Jesus is the truth. We are saved, forgiven of our sins, made right with God in the truth. God is glorified, he is exalted in the truth. And so Satan's ministry of wickedness is to, to lie, it is to defraud, it is to deceive, and that is what Satan does. Let me say it again, I've said it a whole lot of times, let me say it again, I want you to listen very carefully. Listen very carefully this morning, especially to the day that we're in. The truth matters, the truth matters. We live in a day when people say, well, you can't even know what the truth is. It's unknowable. We live in a day when people say, well, the truth doesn't really matter all that much, does it? Just do the best you can. We live in a day when people say, well, as long as you're close to the truth, that, that's all that matters. As long as you're close, listen to me, the truth matters. It is what matters, and it is all that matters. And listen to me, in the church, we had better be all about the, the truth. We better cling to the truth. We better guard the truth. We better proclaim the truth in the church because the truth is what matters. Well, I don't know if it matters or not. 
Well, we have a heart of love. Isn't that all that matters? Well, I don't know that it's knowable anymore. I don't know that we can discern the truth. Listen, the truth matters. The truth saves. The truth is Jesus. Well, Satan, until the thousand years are completed, he is bound and he is sealed away. And then it says, for a short time, he must be released. Now, here's here's a great theological complex question. Why? Why? <laughs> I, read, I read that and I, just, I think, why? Why a thousand years? It's literal. Why a thousand years? Why is there this reign of Christ on earth for a thousand years? Why is Satan locked away for a thousand years? Why release him? I want to tell you, that sounds like a terrible idea to me. We've got him. Why release him? Why? Maybe it's to fulfill the promises of God. And there's some folks who come along and say, well, these things have got to happen. And so maybe it's for that reason. Maybe it's to showcase the glory of God. And I believe that it probably is. Maybe it's to reveal the empty lies of Satan. Listen, I'm not sure of the why, but I know it's the truth. The the word of God, the Bible tells us this is the truth. After a thousand years, he'll be released for a short time. Verse 4. And then I saw thrones and they sat on them. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In verse four, it starts off and it says, John sees Thrones. Now, it's interesting here when you read that, it doesn't say how many thrones he sees. In previous places, he's told us the number of thrones. It says that he sees thrones. It doesn't tell us really who sat on them. When you read it there, it flows along. It doesn't tell us who sat on them. Some say, well, it is the 24 elders. They had thrones in other places. Some say, well, it's the apostles and maybe some other leaders of the church. I believe from the context, these thrones are occupied by those who came with Christ in the armies of heaven. Uh, These thrones, they are to rule and they are also to judge. That's what the Bible says. Uh, In ancient battle, the victor was given the right to rule and to judge. And so I believe that's what this is. Those that came with Christ They are now ruling and reigning with Christ. He goes on and he says that he sees the souls of those who stood for Christ in the tribulation. Now notice that. He he doesn't say, I saw them. He says, I saw the souls of those who stood for Christ in the tribulation, those that were faithful even to the point of death. They did not take the mark of the beast. They did not bow their knee. For that, they were beheaded. They were killed. And those souls, John says, came to life. That is a phrase that means to live again. I believe this is where they receive their resurrection bodies. They were souls, and he sees them as souls. And I believe at this event, in this verse, they now physically live again, 
and they receive their resurrection bodies. It says they also reign with Christ for a thousand years. All right, verse 5 is very interesting. Let's look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead, I believe this is talking about those who are outside of Christ, those rejectors of Christ. I believe these are the lost, and I believe that's what it was referring to. The rest of the dead, these are the lost. The righteous dead, those in Jesus, they live again. But those not in Christ, the rest of the dead, uh, it says they did not until after the thousand years. Now, I want you to see this. It's pretty complicated. Listen to me. All people will be resurrected. Do you know that? All people will be resurrected. Those redeemed by Christ, those saved by faith in the resurrected Christ, they will be resurrected to eternal life. That's the testimony of Scripture. And those not saved, those who are not in Christ, they will be raised to damnation, not to life. They will be raised to eternal punishment. It describes this, the resurrection bodies being given to these saints. This is the first resurrection. You say, well, how do you know what the first resurrection is? Well, it's described to us in verse 6. Listen to this. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Here is the truth. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ, death has no power over them. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ, death has no hold on them. Now, the, the second death, it is talking about a spiritual death. Friends, understand, we are made alive in Christ. He says, and he who, believes in, he who lives and believes in me will never die. Talking about a spiritual death. And so it says those that have believed in Christ, they will live. Death has no part of them. They will not experience a spiritual death. It says that they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. John reports here that saved people will be priests. They'll be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Saved people will be Priest. Now understand this, it's not talking so much about their role. Uh, in the millennial kingdom, in that thousand years, they are going to be priests. Now it's not so much about their role as it is their position. It means as a priest, they have access to Christ. In Jesus, we have access to God. As priests, we have fellowship with Jesus. And in those 1,000 years, we're not going to need a go-between to go between us. We're not going to need some Old Testament priest to, to intercede on our behalf. We're going to have fellowship with Jesus. We're going we're to be able to walk with Jesus. We're going to have access to God. We are priests 
before God. Now, before we move on from that set of verses, I want you to notice the starting word for verse 6. We see it many places in the New Testament. It says, blessed. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Blessed. That word literally means this, happy, glad. Happy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. We have eternal life in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And happy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Remember that old song, Perfect Submission, All is at Rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Can you imagine how happy we're going to be? Can you imagine that, how awesome it's going to be? Can you imagine how happy we're going to be to live in fellowship with access to our Savior, Jesus Christ? Verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Released means loosed. Uh, In the plan of God, he's not going to make an escape. Uh, In the plan of God, he is loosed. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, verse 8, and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand on the seashore. Verse 8, when you read it, shows us really how ridiculous people are. We see a trend, we see a pattern, it happens again. We're going to see how ridiculous people are, and we're going to see how dedicated to his lies that Satan is. Now, I want you to think about this. After a thousand years, he is released in the plan of God. He is released, and he goes right back to it. He goes back, and he starts deceiving. He goes back and he starts lying. He goes and he starts trying to lead people away from the truth. He hadn't done it for a thousand years. He's been sealed away and he comes back out. And the very first thing he does, he goes back to lying and deceiving and trying to lead people away from the truth. Understand these people that he's trying to deceive, they have been born of the people that were God following at the start of the thousand years. Now, these are the people whose ancestors walked with God, and they lived into the thousand years. Well, now generations have been born, and from these people that entered into the thousand years, from them have sprung up new rejectors of Christ. Can you imagine that? From them have come new enemies of God. And Satan recruits from them, from these new nations of people, he recruits to form a new army for a new battle. He goes back to it. And John says this number of people, it is like the sand on a seashore. It is a great multitude of people. Gog and Magog are a reference to Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 2. They represent the enemies of Christ. And so he comes, and he again begins to deceive, and from these newborn enemies of Christ, he begins to assemble an army. Verse 9. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. 
and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. These new enemies of God, they have followed the deceiver of old. They surround the camps of the, the saints. They surround Jerusalem, and they are set once again for battle. Now, I read that, and I wonder how in the world can that be? How in the world can that be? How can these people be that deceived? What's wrong with these people? Don't they know what happened the last time an army was mounted up? What's wrong with these people? How can it be? And yet in their hatred for Christ and their hatred for the good news, the truth, they mount up and they surround Jerusalem. They surround the, they surround the camps of the saints of God. And here's what the Bible says. And fire came down and devoured them. Verse 10. And the devil, the liar, who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And the devil, the word means liar, the deceiver, who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In verse 10, Satan meets his final end. The Bible says he is thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. Understand in a thousand years it hasn't burned out. In a thousand years it hasn't burned down. And now he joins the beast and the false prophet in unbearable agony. The Bible says, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And the one who deceived a third of the angels of glory to rebel against God, the one who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden of perfection, the one who deceived Cain inciting his vile hatred of his brother Abel, the one who has led countless rebellions, the one that's responsible for countless murders and countless deceptions, the one who has promoted and lured and lied and enticed sin after sin after sin after sin and the shame of sin and the guilt of sin and he's wrecked homes and he's destroyed lives and eternity. The deceiver himself is doomed to deceive no more and in the matter of Satan, listen to me. He is finished. He's finished. <laughs> Doomed to deceive no more. Friends, the end of the matter today is this. There is truth. Praise the Lord, there is truth. And I want you to hear it. I want you to understand the truth is noble. It's not relative to the situation. It is knowable. And that truth is sure. And that truth brings peace. It's the only thing that will ever bring peace. That, that truth results in joy. You can look in a whole lot of places and you're going to be absent from joy. That truth brings joy. Listen to me today. There is a truth. There is a truth. And the grace of God and the truth is Jesus. The truth is Jesus. Let me tell you what the call of the gospel message is this. Don't be deceived any longer. Maybe you're here saying, well, I'll, I'll take care of it myself. I'll work it off. Maybe you're here saying, this is a bunch of nonsense. I don't believe any of it. 
Maybe you're here and you say, I'm my own God. I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to this nonsense. I want to tell you the call of the gospel is this. We're sinners. And in our sin, we've earned a punishment, death, separation from God. But Jesus comes and the perfect lamb of God lives a perfect life and he goes to the cross in our place and he dies our death and he pays for the sin of sinners. They put him in a grave and he's dead. And three days later, he walks out of that grave and he stands as the risen lamb. And listen to me, the truth of the gospel is this. Don't be deceived any longer. He is your hope. He is your savior. He is your peace. Turn to Jesus today. He'll save you today. That is the truth of the gospel. Do not be deceived any longer. Embrace the truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Praise the Lord. During Father, we come, and I'm thankful that I've got a Savior. I'm thankful that I've got a way. I'm thankful in a cruddy, sorry world that I got peace. I'm thankful that I have Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that your gospel, your grace is extended to all who would hear today, any that would believe. I pray, Lord, that any, any hindrance to that be removed today. I pray in the hearing of this good news that hearts would turn to you today in repentance and in faith and they would trust you today, claim you today. Lord, I pray for us as the church today. We live in hard days. We live in, in days we see things we can't even imagine. I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here and our heads would be held high. Lord, we would walk out of here and we'd have peace and joy knowing that the victory is in hand. The victory is held by our Savior, Jesus. Lord, let us be people of joy and victory and peace. Lord, we come and I'm thankful for this end. I couldn't do it, but you did it. I'm thankful for this end. I praise you for it. Lord, it's time of invitation. I pray that you would move, that you would work. I pray that you've spoken, that you continue to speak. We trust it to you. We lay it out before you. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you God's grace is offered to you right now. If you'll trust Christ right now, he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll restore you in a right relationship with God. Praise the Lord. He'll fill you with peace and joy right now if you'll trust Christ. You've never done that, do that today. If you're here and you say, well, I remember there was some event, but I'm not sure really what happened on that. Listen, let's settle that today. If you're here and you say, you know what, I've never heard this. I want to tell you it's the truth. You come, let's, let's, let's settle it today. Maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never followed a believer's baptism. The Bible says we're baptized not as part of our salvation, but testifying to the truth of our gospel, or the truth of our Savior. Maybe you'd come and say, you know what, I've, I've been saved, but I've never followed a believer's baptism. By immersion, after the point of my salvation, you come, we'll set a day that'll be a great day of joy and celebration, testifying to Jesus. Maybe you're here looking for a church home. You prayed about it, you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll stand on his truth until he comes again. Preaching his, his gospel of grace until he comes again. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with something altogether different. Maybe you want to come and, and pray here at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray here with me. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. I'm going to ask. Uh, no one would stir around or head for an exit. You'd pray for those who are making decisions. If God has spoken, if he's speaking to you, if you have a decision to make, as we stand to sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.